is um, really nice to be with family, even though I don't know a lot of you. We are family of God, and it's nice to be with you. You hear a lot. I work for Bishop Justin, and you hear a lot about Blueprint amongst many other mission units, so it's great to actually come and be part of your worshipping community. So um, a little bit about me. I am Gendy. That is short for Geraldine. I don't know how it's short for Geraldine. It's a common <laughs> short name. Um, the story is that soon after I was born and named Geraldine, I don't know why, but my parents needed a solicitor, and the solicitor's EA was Gendy, short for Geraldine, so they thought that's cool, and I've been Gendy ever since, even when I'm naughty. Um, I'm a, a first-generation New Zealander. My parents um, immigrated from, from the UK. My dad, when he was 19, my mum when she was four. Um, both with stories, I think, of um, the, the daughter's interpretation. Stories of... Um, hardship and trauma and needing to come to a land where there is opportunity and new life. And so I feel um, really grateful to be able to live in this land and that my parents and um, on my mum's side, my grandmother was welcomed um, to this land and able to find restoration and healing from hardship and domination, I guess you could say, or oppression. Um, so that's that's a little bit of my whakapapa. My, um, Spiritual journey, and I'm going to be talking about that tonight. Um, I'll get into that soon, actually. I, what I want to say before I start, uh, or as I start, um, I'm a child of God, as we all are, um, but I am still on a journey of learning what it means to be a child of God. And really tonight, I just want to share my journey. Um, I feel like... My journey is good news at the very least for me, and I'm trusting that it's good news for more than beyond me, and we are called to share the good news. So that's what I am doing tonight. If all it means is that I'm claiming my journey more and you get to hear it, and hopefully it might be interesting, um, that's good enough because it's me speaking out what God is teaching me. If it is speaking to you even more, um, then that's great because then God gets to use one of his children to bless more of his children. So, so I have named, um, named it being a child of God, not an adult of God. <laughs> um, and I'm one of those, I'm, I'm getting old as a child, and I'm going to have to, I'm kind of, I'm in that age where your eyes keep changing, so it's frustrating. Anyway, so I'm, you're going to be fuzzy, but at least I'm going to read my notes and maybe stay on track a little bit. Um, the other thing I wanted to say is that my formational journey means that for me, um, well, partly how I'm wired and partly in my formation, we're going to be talking a lot about family tonight. For me, I don't have heaps of baggage around family, um, and I don't, and therefore there are terms of what, how we refer to God, like maybe Father God, um, that roll off my tongue because it's just what I'm used to saying. Uh, so I'm just asking grace for all of you where that is where it's hard to relate to God maybe as a um, gender. I don't actually think God has a gender, but I think he, they, embodies all. Um, could you have the grace to hear what you need to hear and not hear what I might say if it takes you down a negative path? Does that make sense? Thank you. Really appreciate that. So a little bit of my spiritual journey up until where I'm going to get a bit deeper. 
I'm um, nearly 50. I was brought up in a Christian home, which I am so grateful for. I was one of those kids that for a long time thought I didn't have a testimony because I was a goody two-shoes and I'd known God for as long as I could remember. Um, but actually I do, and I have a testimony for those of us who have been brought up in Christian homes, maybe. I'm a people pleaser. And so when, at the age of four, I gave my life to Jesus, whatever that meant for me at the age of four, I can remember my parents talking to me and asking me if they wanted, if I wanted them to pray for me. It was like, no, I'm going to do it on my own. And I can remember going to a particular chair in the lounge and I didn't want them there. And for me, that's become a really precious memory because I wasn't pleasing. It's like I wasn't actually doing a people please to accept Jesus. I was making my own decision. And that's something really important for me to hold on to. Whatever that was it for, it was a decision I was making to follow Jesus. And then I have been learning for 45 years. No, not yet, about 45 years since then, <laughs> what it means to be a child of God. And, um, and I think... To be fair, and you know, uh, we're all brought up by humans, not God, in many ways, so therefore there are going to be mistakes. I think from very young I was probably formed to be an adult of God, and so I've had to do a lot of undoing as I go into my adulthood, so I want to talk about that a little bit. Um, some examples of being an adult, probably by 12 I was leading a kids ministry, had my own little own little group, you know, we'd pray for them for, to receive the Holy Spirit. I mean, it's great. I'm not complaining about any of this. 16, I was leading my first youth camp where we invited one or two adults just, just in case. But, you know, we had our own Christian youth camp. I've just had a kind of formation, which I'm so grateful for, where there was no expectation that just because of my age, I couldn't minister in God's kingdom. But it also meant there was a lot of responsibility. And so I've had to undo some of that, uh, stop being an adult of God and learn how to be a child of God. I'm just going to hold this so I can... So, a little bit of my journey of God um, undoing me, you could say. In about 210, soon after Justin became bishop, actually, um, I was a young mum, had two small kids. I was working nearly full-time the diocese, I was trying to do the Anglican Studies program, there's possibly some of you that have done that because you know it was new and I wanted to support and I kind of worked for the bishop as well and you know it's what you did and um, and I fell apart and I I restacked our woodshed because I was so angry that being able to pull all the wood out and throw it back in was a safe way of um, dealing with my anger and you know, it kind of fell apart a little bit. In that time, I, I'm really wired to people, please. You know, some of you might be like that. Some of us are wired for, uh, you know, maybe success and being able to achieve at things. Some of us are wired for kind of security and having enough. And some of us are wired for acceptance. I'm wired for acceptance. They're actually all great wirings. We just need to take them to God in my default my default is not always to take them to God. I can try and seek that from people. So I was in that space. I was trying to be the good parent. I was trying to be the good wife. I was trying to be the good student. I was trying to be the good worker, the good archdeacon, the good, you know, just please everybody. And in the meantime, I was ruling myself out of the picture. So I stacked, the, I stacked, restacked the woodshed, cried out to God, 
um, when had a rant at my husband and um, doesn't sound like much but he said you know what concerns me is I don't see you do anything for yourself and that I think was the first part of my journey where it was like oh so actually it's okay for me to do stuff for myself that always felt like what I was allowed to do when everything else was finished um, I love craft but craft was the the reward at the end of all the doing and I had no time for that reward and so that started me off on this journey of actually making craft more of a priority which started me off in realising that when I craft I pray and craft is like my abide time you know how they say be still and know that I am God and you're meant to have your quiet time I've never been able to do that until craft because when my hands are busy it's the same with dishes and making bread I don't get to do either of those very often can I say because I have teenagers who do dishes <laughs> I mean eventually eventually um, uh, so yeah so I discovered that when when I was focused on making something with my hands my mind was free to commune with God and I have this beautiful image um, of me and Jesus sitting at a table, kind of corner to corner, and we're just hanging out. And we're not talking about anything deep, but we're hanging out. So that was like the start of my journey. Um, a bit later, um, in 2015, I, um, I got to have a sabbatical, which was such a beautiful gift. I was actually fed up with the church and my church role, um, with what I call the collar abuse, you know, the kind of power that can come with with um, people having a collar. I was, I was in a role of supporting children and family workers at the time. And anyway, we, um, we had the opportunity to go to Tonga for eight weeks for a break, for me to rest, for John to do volunteer work. He was the one bringing up the kids, so good to have him to have something to focus on. And just before we went, we went to a, um, I went to a course, 3DM, you might have heard of it, and they talked about this thing about our covenant relationship with God and how... Um, who we are is the most important thing. So we have God, parent, um, figure, and first and foremost in this covenant relationship, it's who we are in God, that we're a child of God. And then what we do comes out of that as an expression of who we are. And one of the challenges was, is that how you've been formed? Or how have we been formed? Here is God and then you do this to prove who you are. And that straight away is like, oh, I've spent my life proving that I'm a follower of Jesus, not being a follower of Jesus, and then doing that. So my personal spiritual task on sabbatical was to just go through the Gospels with this lens of what does God say, what's role modelled in the Gospel about um, who we are. And this, this realisation, I mean, it's been there for thousands 2,000 years anyway, I've just not seen it. It's been there longer actually because it's about Abraham as well. Um, this Jesus, Abraham, others, they believed in God and God credited it to them as righteous. Like they hadn't done anything yet and yet they were righteous. For me that was really profound. And I had this most amazing experience in Tonga of um, going to these, invited for morning, for afternoon tea at this woman's house. I'd actually asked these women to recommended a dressmaker and they invited me around and they dressed me up and then they offered me basically their clothes that they thought looked good on me. And I was standing there in this quite sparse home being offered clothes as well as a keke which is you know one of the kind of skirt things that they put over the top which you, you wear you, a lot of the time as a sign of respect and they're not cheap. Thinking um, 
I can't afford these, but I, our family probably earns more than these women earn, and how can I take this off them? And yet, knowing intuitively that to reject that gift was going to be um, more dishonourable than feeling like I was ripping them off. So I um, thanked them and said I felt really beautiful, thank you so much, and they jumped with joy. And I kind of had this realisation of, oh, so that's what it's like when we just accept the gift God freely gives us. God jumps for joy. I didn't have to do anything, I just had to accept the gift. And, and God is jumping for joy. That was profound for me. You know, only, only 30 years into my journey, kind of worked that one out. Um, the following year, on a retreat, um, Bishop Ali did an exercise where there were these, I guess you could say, continuums of um, ways of viewing ourselves in relation to God. And we had to go through and pick out what was the one that stood out for us. And for me, um, it was um, servant versus child. I think that was a continuum, seven anyway, that stood out. And I realised that I had this view of myself as being like the beloved servant. So this probably comes from, um, I read too many historical novels probably, is where this comes from. <laughs> so so um, I have this image of, you know, kind of the mansion, and you have the, um, the faithful servant that's there all the time, but even on their day off, they're kind of on, you know, they're on edge, just, you know, and you don't get to, the servant doesn't get to put their feet up in the library and have the fire going and read from all those books, you know, that obviously would be in this house. Um, they're, they're just kind of resting, but on edge. And, and so I had this realisation that that's how I see myself as a servant, and yet God was saying, but I want you to be the child. I want you to be that beloved child that gets to go and sit in the library and put their feet up on the furniture and have the fire blazing and read a book without a care in the world and they're absolutely being okay. You know, you can step out. So there was an invitation there. It was like, yep, okay, I want to, I want to accept that invitation. And I feel they've all been little, <laughs> they probably sound really little for you. They're profound for me and they've been steps of going closer. And I went to um, Word Spirit Street. Has anyone been to Word Spirit Street this year? This, a couple, some years ago, I can't remember which year it was, but Bob and Gracie Eckblad, I think it was the first time that they came out. And there was some talk there about being a child of God. And I had this, um, like in the, in the prayer time, I had this, I guess I'm quite a visual person, so I, I saw, maybe you could say it was a vision, of me and Jesus standing in this playground, and there's all the play equipment, there's other kids playing. And Jesus said, come on, Jenny, come and play in the playground. And I was like, but I can't. I need to make sure everyone's okay. Um, and just couldn't go and play. I felt I, I was responsible to ensure that everyone else was okay, that they were safe, there were no fights, rah 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 And I, um, I went and talked to Mark and Kirsty Johnson just you know, want a prayer on that, and, and Mark said, yeah, but, you know, it's great, we get to be like kids, you know, kids have no responsibility. I was like, ah, that's, that wasn't my experience as a child. I have this memory, I love my parents, I'm so grateful for how they brought me up, so I don't want you to go away bagging my parents, I'll be the first to jump to their defence, but just to give you an example, I have a memory of me being five, my sister seven, 
Mum had a two-year-old and a newborn, and we had to catch the bus to school. School was like 20 plus minutes away. We'd, we'd get there and then we had to walk another 2K. The sacrifice you make when you send your kids to a Christian school, not that, um, that around. And anyway, uh, we needed to go into the store by the bus stop to get ourselves some lunch. And what we were told is one of you has to wait outside and ask the bus driver to wait when they get there while the other one gets it. Well, we were little and we were too scared to split up. So we, you know, were like, let's hope we can do it. We both ran in, we ran out, we missed the bus. And um, the huge disappointment at the end of the day, you know, mum had to pack up four kids, get us to school or whatever, and dad's huge disappointment in us not being obedient. And, um, you know, I've actually had to do a lot of work, forgiving especially dad, for too much responsibility for too young a child. But it helped, in doing that, that's helped free me a little bit from that sense of, I can be a child and that actually wasn't okay, and it's probably helped me become a better parent as well. So that was another big step in my journey of being um, a child of God, not an adult of God. So we are getting up to this year, two things this year. One seemingly small thing, um, doing some coaching on discipleship and learning from uh, a chap, a friend now, Cesar Kalinowski from the US, who does everyday discipleship. And just the, the whole message, again, obvious, but that we're all God's family, even those who don't accept God yet. We're all God's family. We're all God's children. And so this realisation for me that in, um, if everyone is a child of God, it like took off a weight off my shoulder around mission and evangelism because I was feeling quite weighty. My people of peace in my neighbourhood, I'd kind of do the whole... Oh, I'm really tired, so I haven't got a lot of energy, so I'd avoid contacting or whatever. But this was like this, oh, actually, they're part of the family. They're just estranged from the parent at the moment and the family. And my family all live in the South Island, and I'm not very good at keeping in contact with them, but I might flick a text to go, how are you doing, and leave it at that, and, and they know that I've thought about them. So it was like, oh, I can do that with these other family members. But also this realisation that... Um, that actually if every single person, if we're all God's children, then those who are estranged from the parent, we get to be the ones that hold that relationship by being in relationship with them. So we get to do that, okay? That's important because it leads into the big revelation. I have a practice at the moment of trying to get home and compassion about once a month for what I call a work retreat. Often I have to end up doing work there, but I try to be in a more spiritual mindset. When you work for the church, you know, you're meant to be anyway, but it doesn't mean it happens. Um, so I thought, oh, I'll start the day um, doing, you know, doing some work, uh, doing some spiritual work. So I um, turned on a bit of the coaching stuff we were doing with Caesar Kalinowski. Now, Caesar's great, but he's one of those kind of charismatic um, in the way he presents Americans, and he talks about... Daddy or dad, refers to God as daddy or dad, you know, and he's one of those people that, you know, brother, Connor. <laughs> and I kind of I get a bit cringy with that. Um, especially, I noticed that I get a bit cringy with daddy God. So I turned that off and I thought, no, I'll do something more spiritual. Looked on the shelves, you know, the nuns here, they'll have some good books. Praying with Jesus, that's what I need. 
Okay, so praying with Jesus. Open it up. Abba Father, God is our dad. Oh, great. Um, and we're just really aware of this big reaction, which kind of undid things for me a little bit. So I had to do this whole processing on myself. And I, I don't know if any of you use the Kairos Circle, but I just did the Kairos Circle. I'm just trying, I'm, I'm actually just filling in time while I decide whether I read out my processing to you or not. But here we go. Um, so this was April, 27th of April, to be precise, if you need the information. Head it up, Abba Father. I feel uncomfortable addressing God intimately as Dad. I cringe when others talk of God as my daddy or dad, and God asked me to be a child, a daughter, not a beloved servant. So you can hear my story in there. I wonder if calling Dad feels disloyal to my dad, who I really honour and love. It's like replacing him. I wonder if this is coming up now because of my call to see everyone as family. Some are strange from God. How can I be the family member holding the relationship and representing our father if I'm not willing to be intimate with him myself? I wonder if I need to refer to Father God intimately as dad or as papa, as Clara says, Clara's my daughter, to open my heart towards intimacy and treating God as my papa. Papa could be distinct from dad um, John's relationship with the kids could be my example of my relationship with God. Play, banter, help with homework, nurture, like his cooking, patience, you know, a few qualities maybe that the kid's mum doesn't have. <laughs> and then, um, <laughs> then a prayer, Lord, crossed out, Papa, I want to be fully your daughter, I feel uncomfortable, be my Papa, teach me how much you want to be my dad, you are my dad, so that I can fully be your daughter. And then my plan was to try and use terms like Papa and Dad in prayer to live into that relationship. So that for me was like, it wasn't about being comfortable, it was about being obedient to, to learn to live into that relationship. And the question I had to ask myself is, what have Papa and I been doing together? And ask me that, I'm not sure if I could answer it just yet. Um, that was a really profound start of a journey for me, and every time I go to Home Compassion, I get that same book out, and I go a bit further. In fact, embarrassingly, one time I found that in it and thought, oh, please God, had no one else pulled that book out in the last month. Anyway. Um, but it, I went on this journey, which I want to share with you. You, heard my rea- you know my reaction. I really, I do struggle with um, calling God Dad. I love my dad, um, you know, for all his faults. And all of us human parents have faults. He, um, I think, has been amazing in the way he's brought the four of us up and invested in us and really loves us. He was fun, um, taught us a lot about God, taught us a lot about life. And so it was a big thing. But this revelation of, oh, maybe Papa could work. When, my, when Clara was seven, she decided, you know, she was kind of just basically, Dad, from now on you shall be Papa. And at that time that this was happening, it was around Anzac Day, um, John had got up at like five in the morning because Clara wanted to go to the Anzac service. Not something her mum was prepared to do. You, you're starting to get a theme around his generosity and my selfishness, so I'm probably not painting the best picture of myself here. Anyway, he, you know, he got up at five in the morning and took her to the Anzac service um, because she wanted to experience that. Um, she wanted to go for a walk. They went for a long walk along Red Rocks and had a lovely time. 
Um, John cooks for us every night. I don't know how to cook anymore. I know I know how to read a recipe book, so I'm not worried. <laughs> but you know, he's just just to explain, he's been the at-home parent, so you know, division of labour comes into this. Um, he is amazing at noticing nuances in all of us. Um, you know, he often knows probably when I'm sick before I'm sick. He just has this noticing, and he has a beautiful way of bantering with our kids, with Zach and Clara. And so for me, um, he became like an image of what it would be like for God to be my papa. You know, this, it started helping me on this journey. So I did some thinking about that, and then I started thinking about, okay, so the Bible says, you know, it says in Luke, actually, let me just find that, about accepting the kingdom of God like a child. Um, Let the children come to me and do not prevent them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Amen, I say to you, whoever does not accept the kingdom of God like a child will not enter it. And, you know, that got me thinking, so how do children accept gifts from their parents? And I don't know about you, but um, when I was a kid, well, actually there wasn't a lot of money, so I was probably in awe when there was a gift. But in general, let's, let's base it off my kids, there's been a bit more money in their household. Um, there's just this kind of acceptance of, well, of course, of course I'm worthy. Of course that's for me. Like, there's no questioning, are you sure? Can you afford it? Oh, am I good enough? It's just, yeah, of course, you know. Um, they, they accept the gift. They have no question that they would be worthy of the gift. There's, you know, this, um, they use it, they tell people about it, but it's just very matter of fact. You know, and yeah, they're probably really joyful about it as well, assuming it's something that they appreciate, not the socks and undies, but, you know, the other things. Um, but there's this kind of just taking it in their stride, no issue about it, but in, of course, and it's mine, and let's carry on with life. So that was interesting for me to reflect on for a start. And then I thought, well, what's it like to be like a child? Unless you accept the kingdom of God like a child, or what might the aspects of being a child? And this book I was reading, actually there's some bits I disagreed with, but, um, you know, the good qualities of children, so let's think about that. Actually, why don't you call some out? What are the good qualities of kids? What do we appreciate about kids? Curious. Teacher. Curious. Creative. Creative. Often quite forgiving. Quite forgiving, yeah. Funny. Imagination. Funny, imagination. Wonder. Wonder. Spontaneous. Spontaneous. Don't you want to be a kid again? There's movement, there's activity, they're learning and exploring a lot. Um, they rest when they need a rest. I mean, there's some beautiful qualities there, eh, about being a child and coming into God's kingdom. Um, and, you know, being fully part of the family of God with that. And then I thought, well, actually, are the negative qualities of kids that bad? You know, like, is it that we shouldn't have those? Because, you know, I've realised how I've been very performance-based. My line at the moment is it's not a performance appraisal. <laughs> um, and so I started thinking um, about some of the other qualities of being a kid, the self-centeredness. 
the demanding, you know, on and on, and the why, 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 what I want, I want. The need for nurture, that sometimes actually can get tiring, especially when as a parent you need nurture yourself as well. It can be hard. Um, the need for rest when you want to keep going, you know, you actually have to stop and accommodate. Um, not being responsible in the negative way. <sighs> Hungry all the time. <laughs> but I thought about those and I thought, well, actually, are they bad? You know, God says be persistent in prayer. So actually, the quality of being demanding as a child, is that actually bad? Or does God want us to come like a demanding child as well? Demand the goodness of God. Demand um, righteousness. Demand fullness of life for all, including ourselves. Does God want us to be responsible all the time? Well, actually, Gendy, is it okay to not be responsible all the time and to let God be responsible? Is it good to be hungry? Is it good to rest? Is it good to go to the parent in need for nurture and comfort? And sometimes I think we can look at the, what we perceive as the negative qualities, but I'm wondering if there's, if there's actually some positive qualities here that God wants us to take on board to become like children. And that led me to then thinking about parenting my own kids. What do we do when we parent? And this is probably part of what's really transforming me at the moment um, in relation to how I view God as a parent. Um, and an intimate relationship. Because I think I probably got to the point of a parent, but it was still very distant. You know, Father God, out there somewhere, not Papa. So it's like, well, with my kids, you do what you can to make work fun. You plan regular rests, even when they're teenagers. You plan regular rests, you know, get them through, have the YouTube break, whatever it might be. You pack the snacks for the journey. There's cuddles, there's reading time, there's creating time, there's time out, often more for the parent than the child, but there's time out. There's coaching, explaining, discipling. And when I look at that and I go, oh, you know, when I look at my kids and they're just being, my view, selfish, John and I will kind of give each other that look. But actually, we love our kids and we know that this is a phase. And we give that look and then just carry on, you know, and let them do their selfish bit and know that they'll come round and there'll be a time when the reason will kick in again. When they're falling apart, we know that actually sometimes there's been so much challenge out there that they just need to be able to fall apart here. And yes, their behaviour is crap, but actually there's more to life than that. And right now they just need nurture despite the poor behaviour. Um, you know, there's an awful lot as parents and I'm sure as teachers, where you, you look at your kids and you go, but there's a bigger context here and I understand that. And so this behaviour is okay and I love them and I don't care and I can see the future. And God says, I know the plans I have for you, plans that will give you life and fullness and hope. And here's Gendy at least, sitting there going, but I have to perform and I have to be responsible. And actually that's not what's being called of me. I'm being asked to be a child of God, and I have no idea how long I'm taking on rabbiting on, sorry. Cheers. So, um, two things that have really stood out for me in this parenting and being a child of God, that actually for most of us, or at least, that's probably not fair to say most of us, because even I fall into being a performance-based parent, 
the ideal of a healthy family is that the children in that family are loved no matter what. And they're discipled and they're nurtured. They're not, it doesn't mean they're necessarily given into, but they're loved no, no matter what. There's this unconditional love. That the love does not relate to how they behave. And I think for a lot of my life, I was behaving to ensure I um, earned the love. You probably know the parable in the Bible of the prodigal child. I'm going to call him prodigal child. I just believe that that parable was the prodigal son. It was all about the father and the son. I actually think it's probably about the children and the parents, but those who wrote the Bible, men were more important in those days. So we'll just even this out. The prodigal child and this child basically went to the parents and said, now this wasn't kind of the appropriate that we might have today. Hey, do you think that the money you might be leaving us when you're when you die, do you think you could give me some of that now so I can buy the house? It wasn't that kind of thing that might be appropriate. It was more effectively saying, I don't really care about you, but I do care about your money. Can you give me my share now? I'm too impatient to wait till you die because I've got a life to live and I need some money to live with that. And these parents gave the money. This child went and squandered the money and ended up... Um, so living so on the edge of life, so downcast that lots of really core values for how that person was formed was being really challenged for them just to survive in life. So Jewish context, uh, don't eat pork. Um, the only food was potentially the food that was given to the, the pigs, having to care for the pigs which partly there's shame in that, it's what poor people eat, but then there's this kind of this connection with having to look after the pigs anyway. So just really grating and having this realisation of, do you know the servants at mum and dad's place actually get looked after a lot better, I could go back and be a servant and then I'd be much better off. So wanders back, meanwhile parents every day looking out the window. You can imagine this nice little village um, where everybody else has been gossiping about this terrible child that's gone off and squandered the money and if they ever set foot in here again, we'll let them know, you know, we'll tell them how rude they were or terrible things they did to their parents. And so um, these parents were looking out because they loved their child and they wanted and hoped and prayed for that child to come back. And they see this child, and before they let any of the villagers get out there and pull them down, they run out to their child, open their arms, give them a hug. The child says, you know what, I'm really sorry, I've wasted all the money, could I be a servant? And they don't really even hear that. They say to the servants, go and get the best food, put the best clothes, put a ring on, which was, was like, a, the ring was like a symbol, the family symbol, so you're fully part of the family, you're back, your status has been restored. This story is saying, it's not about what the kid did. They were the kid, they were the child. That's the important message. This, that never changes. And I think that's been my huge revelation of it doesn't matter what I do. Not that that gives me permission to go off and squander, because hopefully I love my parent as well, or parents. And so I want to honour them by living in a way that honours them. But 
actually it's not a performance appraisal. It's actually this relationship we get to choose to live in of being the child and all the rights that come with being a child and you can throw your toys out of the cot but that does not change that we're a child of an incredibly loving God, parent. Lord's Prayer, I've got a tire here. When the disciples said to Jesus, effectively they were saying, oh, I think I reckon they were going, you pray differently to all the other people in the synagogues and stuff. They'd taken notice, can you teach us how to pray? And the first line that Jesus said was, Abba Father, Papa Father, Papa. Not dearest heavenly God, who is the most amazing, but just Papa. And there's so many profound things in just that statement, Papa God. Firstly, the formal way, our Father in heaven, Abba Father, but in heaven. What affirms me is, doesn't replace my dad. But there's a distinction here, that there is a heavenly, a spiritual, a perfect papa, and then I also have my own dad, my earthly dad, who I can still honour, and it's not one replacing the other, that God gives capacity for both. But also in the very statement that we make, Abba Father or our Father in heaven, we are naming our relationship. And I wonder, I don't know about you, but you know, having been brought up in the church, that prayer can just roll off my tongue because it's rote and it's what you do. You know, and I'm still stuck on the first line that actually, am I really living into God being my papa, my spiritual papa, my perfect papa? Am I living into that? There's an intimacy, Abba Father, not, um, not this formality of a distant, but this intimate Abba Father, and when Jesus said, pray like this, Abba Father, Jesus was also saying to the disciples and therefore to us, you're in the family too. You, you don't get to go, dear Jesus Father, you actually get to claim it, you get to say, Abba Father. So many things just in that one um, statement for me to live into. I'm going to stop for a moment and... Um, I'm just going to pray quietly, but I want you to just honestly, with, with Papa there, just say, what is my relationship with God like? Just be honest and name, what is my relationship with God like? What I... Um, I've got some more questions soon, but what I do want to ask you to do, if you've got pen and paper, to maybe write down what came to mind, because that's maybe the start of a conversation with God, and we're called to be hearers of the word as well as doers of the word. Repent and believe. Repent being align our mindset more to the mindset of God, to the mindset of Christ. And if we align our mindset more to the mindset of Christ, believe is how then will I live to express that mindset. That's, that's a journey I invite you to do this week. So just not jot down what came to mind so that you can do that process with Jesus, our big brother, over the week. When we choose, when we claim that we are children of God, then um, we are claiming our primary identity. 
We have many identities, but when our primary identity is being a child of God first and foremost, it means quite a few things. It means that it's not a performance appraisal, it's a relationship. It means that resting in fun is expected. That it's a simple and direct relationship. Children don't put all flowery stuff when they ask or when they tell us stories, they just tell us. It means we know the family values and that they're important to us and that because we know them, we can speak for them with authority. We can speak in the family business, so to speak. We don't have to keep asking permission, we can speak out because we know it. It means that we accept that everyone's family and so therefore how we engage with every other person, including those who have different political views, world views, whatever views, all those annoying habits or ways of being, that actually they're still family. You know, we have the eccentric aunties and uncles, we have the annoying nephews and nieces, but we love family, we're all welcome at the table. And so we are in relationship as well with each other and we're called to hold on to and invest in those relationships. It assumes ownership. There's a line in um, Anglican liturgy around um, everything we have is yours and of your own we give you. Um, And that's partly, you know, a humbling line of it was never mine in the first place. But there's also um, a beautiful line there of actually the world belongs to God and we can speak and act with authority and assume that we have the right to and assume um, the kaitiakitanga, I guess, of looking after that. And we know that um, God is especially fond of us. I love, you know, that line from the shack where God is portrayed as that beautiful um, African-American woman and she's listening to some music of her boys and just talks about um, God is especially fond. I'm especially fond of them. I often think about that when people are annoying me. I'm like, God is especially fond of them. <laughs> helps, helps keep me focused. So we have some decisions to make. We have a decision to decide, um, are we going to acknowledge and accept and live into being a child of God? And um, as you've heard, it can be a long journey. So, you know, don't don't be worried if tomorrow you're like, I want to make that decision, but I'm not there yet because I'm at about 45 years and I'm still learning. We, um, if we make that decision to turn to God as parent, then there's also um, a decision to honour our parent, to respect and to love and to worship as we um, worship in giving worth, as we would um, those people in our lives that we really respect and love um, here on earth. To acknowledge Jesus as our older brother, you know, and, and I don't know how many of you have older siblings. Who has older siblings? I do. And they can be bossy. But, you know, sometimes um, they actually do know a bit more. And I guess especially um, in some cultures, the older sibling has a lot of mana. And, you know, you, you listen to and you respect and you do. And there's an element of that for us with Jesus, our older brother, who we are siblings, but we also defer to and respect and honour. And we respect and welcome the Holy Spirit, our strength and our guide. But there are things that get in the way. Things can be our image of God. For me, it was, you know, God a bit more maybe as the master. 
Um, and then is the distant father. Uh, some common images we can have of God is that, that distant, indifferent kind of person doesn't really care about us, you know, out there. Or the stern judge with the black book writing down every single thing we do and calling us to account. Or maybe that kind of impersonal force, like a powerful being, but not very personal. How do you relate to that? Sometimes we can also carry um, guilt feelings, things that we're not proud of um, in our lives, or even experiences that we may have had no control over, but they still affect and wound us in ways that have decreased our self-worth, and we carry that with us. We kind of drag it along, where our parent God is saying, I want to transform that and release that from you, but we drag it along because it's we don't feel worthy, and so we we keep hold of that unworthiness rather than living into that beautiful gift where our parent is saying, I want completely what's best for you. Give that to me and let me give you the goodness. So there are things that we have to deal with to become more intimate and to have that intimate um, parenting relationship. And quite honestly, for a lot of us, we have to... You know, even for me, um, when I think my parents did a good job, there's a lot of undoing. There's a lot of, we have human parents, you know, or parent figures, and we have to undo a lot of what they've taught us to be able to go to, go to intimacy with Jesus. So I'm going to wrap up, but I, I have some questions for you to ponder on, and um, as we go into worship, maybe they're ones that you can be taking to Papa or Mama. doesn't matter what term you give. So, first question. Do I draw back from intimacy with God because I know I'm unworthy to enter into his presence? Do I draw back from intimacy with God because I know I'm unworthy to enter into his presence? Do I believe God is nonetheless inviting me to come before him as his beloved child? Am I able to speak with God simply and directly as a child to a parent? What is holding me back from greater intimacy with God and from greater freedom in God's presence? Again, you might not know what the answers to those questions are, and I'm not asking you to know that now, but if any of those questions have caught your attention, make a note of it and try and do the work of unpacking that with Big Brother Jesus during the week and um, calling on scripture, calling on your friends of faith who, has with, who have wisdom to speak into your life, hearing what God is saying to you, and then choosing how now will I live if that's what God is saying to me. The last one was, what is holding me back from greater intimacy with God 
came from greater freedom in God's presence. I'm going to um, just bless you. We uh, there was advertising for baptism this morning. I my my good news story. My son got confirmed two weeks ago. We we chose to baptise our kids as infants to claim them for God's kingdom. So it was really beautiful to um, have him renew his baptismal vows and have all of us there and um, just feels great. When we're baptised, we're baptised into our identity in God. God the parent, Jesus the servant, our big brother, and the Holy Spirit the sent one. And so... Family of God, I want to bless you. I want to bless you with an intimate knowledge of your papa, with a deeper sense of being loved, enjoyed, delighted in by your papa. I want to bless you with a deeper relationship with big brother Jesus, the servant, as you serve, as you minister, as you journey along. And I bless you with... Um, a guiding and a deep awareness of the Holy Spirit guiding you, the sent one, as you were sent to minister in the family business. Amen.